Good morning. You sound like you were up late watching a football game. Good morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, I always love preaching to Park Baptist Church. You're my family. And I would like to open up with uh, just a brief prayer. I know Dave prayed, but uh, just ready your hearts once more. Heavenly Father, your grace is sufficient. Thank you for this time that we get to spend in your word. Be with our hearts. Be with me as I preach, Lord. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. May 28, 2016. Driving through winding, dark mountain roads, a newlywed couple found themselves lost. No, this is not the opening of a Stephen King novel or another horror movie. This is Jamie and I's honeymoon. <laughs> Technology had let us down. I drove the car up a dark, scary driveway, only to find the wrong house. We were both scared, tired, and most of all, hungry. These are quotes, I'm not lost, I'm just exploring. I'm not lost, I'm just on my way. Well, no, I, we were lost. The address we were given wasn't working on our phones, and the directions to all those landmarks, they didn't help in the dark. People have been lost before. It's a common thing. And um, people can very easily relate to being lost. People are lost all the time on the way to work. It happens. Um, and so Jesus, we find, using this relatable term, being lost, in his passages we're going to go over today, Jesus uses the stories of loss to describe people who are repenting. Repentance, repent, repent, repenting. Words you most likely have heard of. And um, that's a word I believe we need to consider quickly before we go into our passage. Often this happens where phrases and words we become so familiar with. That we also don't take the time and really think on the meaning and the implication. Frequently in my own quiet times, I won't stop and meditate on a word or a text because I've heard it before. And so I want to briefly, let's go to Psalm 51, if you will. Turn with me to Psalm 51. And we're going to try to look at Scripture with a humble heart. And get an idea of repentance. Here in Psalm 51, uh, this is... A psalm of David, uh, Nathan has confronted him, confronted David with a, a parable of two men and sheep. And David becomes furious with the man, only for Nathan to tell him that he is the man in the story that he has become so angry with. And David later writes a psalm that describes repentance in Psalm 51. I'm going to read uh, briefly some of it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And my sin did my mother conceive me. 
Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Um, I think a few verses and phrases we want to look at. Uh, the first is David admits his sin towards God. You see it in the very beginning, in the first few verses. Uh, he calls it transgression, transgression, transgressions, iniquity, sin. I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. And he declares his neediness of being cleansed and forgiven. He wants to be whiter than snow. Purge him with hyssop. He describes his guilt and shame in verse 8. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. The, bro- the bones you have broken. And in verses 16 and 17, we didn't get to there, but it says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. And you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. David knows that his doing and work will not do the trick. God must work in his heart first. It's brokenness that best describes a person who is repentant. And now, if you will turn with me to Luke 15, we're going to go quickly through uh, four points I have for today. And I'm going to read Luke 15. And um, I'm going to go through four different perspectives that I think Jesus gives us in these parables. Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he has come home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy, or there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods and the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. 
I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and then begins to celebrate. Now his older brother, his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Luke is writing this gospel to Theophilus. Luke 15 is really in the middle of a flow of scripture between 14 and 16. So right in the middle of it, Jesus in this section is teaching on discipleship. And he's using parables very frequently to get his point across. His audience is usually either Pharisees or his own disciples. But recently it seems that there's crowds have started to gather to hear him speak. And they want to be around him. And there we see in 15, the very beginning, Jesus encounters criticism from Pharisees and scribes. The criticism is of Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> it's the same one in Luke 5, earlier in the gospel, where Jesus calls Matthew, and Levi, the tax collector. And we hear those famous lines, those who are well have no need of a physician. Not only is Jesus defending his ministry, he's also urging those who are grumbling to come and celebrate with him. Why are they critiquing Jesus and grumbling? Well, the reason we can see is because the lost children of Israel were coming to Jesus and were even eating with him. When we, when we read this, we're, we're thrown back a little bit. They're upset that lost people are coming to Jesus. The, the outcast, we're throwing back for, I would say, two reasons. One, that the outcast, the, the looked down upon, would come and want to spend time with the perfect. They did not feel looked down upon or second class citizens around Jesus. Then the other odd part is the religious of the day. We're upset that the ones who were called sinners are looked down upon by society 
Jesus was okay with accepting them. So Jesus gives them three stories with these parables that Jesus gives. I see four perspectives. The first perspective is a seeker's perspective. A seeker's perspective. We see in the three parables, a seeker loves those who are lost. We can see that because the shepherd will leave the 99 for the one. And although there are myriads and myriads above in the heavens, God will not let one go. And although he has plenty of saints with him, he will search diligently for the one. And the point of the parable and the fact that he leaves 99 sheep in the open country is not that he's okay with losing them. The point is that God loves each and every one of them. We see later the shepherd, he secures their return by putting the sheep on his shoulders. He will not lose them again. He shows his kindness and his tenderness as he rests the sheep on his shoulders. It really says something about the shepherd, that the sheep will not walk back. It will be carried. And although there is nothing to be noted about the sheep, nothing special about it, the shepherd will go to those he meets and celebrate and rejoice over finding of the sheep. And this is really the beauty of the cross that we celebrate. And although he died on the cross for the world, he also died for you. We sing, this, sing those lines, it was my sin that held him there. The wrath that came on Jesus was supposed to be for me. And here's something beautiful and deep about the cross is that the gospel message that saves us is also the same message that draws us. The shepherd makes a way for the sheep to come back, but it's also how kind the shepherd is that makes the sheep want to come back with him. Christ died, was buried, and raised again so that so a way was made back for sinners to God. However, to get us back, it's the death, the burial, and the resurrection that speaks, that speaks softly to us. It shows us how tender and God is, how sweet he can be. This is our great God who seeks his loss today. It is through his church he seeks his loss today. The Father's heart is for the lost. Do we have our Father's heart? We are to become more and more like Christ, and Christ came to save sinners. He came for the sick. Let us check our heart, dig deep, spend time in silence, and ask God, who has he put in our life that he wants? Who is he seeking after through us? And are we being disobedient or obedient? Sometimes we hear that, uh, are you being obedient or disobedient? Subtitle, you're probably not. That's not what I mean here, because here at Park, there are plenty of examples of obedience and seeking the lost. There are Bible studies. I've heard of people uh, ministering to their family. I've, heard, I've seen the time and ministry that members of this church has put forth. I think of uh, the trip I took this past year to Puerto Rico and Guatemala. This church supported that I was on. 
my heart is joyful because this church shows life as it works together for the lost. And together with our God, we're calling out for the sheep and lighting lamps for the coins. The lighting lamp in the second parable and sweeping the house shows diligence of the seeker. This methodical seeking of the woman, it reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis. A young man who wishes to remain a sound atheist cannot be too careful for his reading of his reading. There are traps everywhere. Bibles are laid open. Millions of surprises. As Herbert says, fine nets and stratagems. God is, if I may say, very unscrupulous. Um, unscrupulous is a word that I have to look up every time I read it. It means not fair. He's saying God does not play fair. I mean, you're probably like me and had no idea what that word meant. <clears throat> but this saying is not just for atheists, but it's for all lost. God knows his own. And he is sweeping the floor. He is lighting the lamp. His word is going forth to the ends of the earth, finding his coins that have fallen beneath the cracks. The God who created everything it is not beneath him to find the lonely sinner. And then we see the father seeking his son. It says, while the son was a long way off, he ran to him. We can imagine this picture, can't we? The father's love keeps him looking for his son every day. And the running would have been unusual and embarrassing for a father as he would have to pick up his gown and run out to the sun on a dirt road. Our second point, run out of time, so I'll get this by quickly. Heaven's perspective is our second point. Heaven's perspective. The text tells us that finding is not the end, but the celebration. Verse 7, because there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99. And there we see it again in verse 10, just so I tell you there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner repents. And there's a difference between earthly repentance and heavenly repentance. The earthly is temporal. Well, just a week ago we had Christmas. Presents, joy, laughter, singing songs. And then a week goes by, then two or three, and the joy and celebration of Christmas is soon gone. But in heaven, joy is eternal. The celebrating of sinners will go on and on, and they will sing the song of the Lamb that was slain. And the question we must ask ourselves is, if we do not have the joy over the lost being saved now, what makes us think we will have that joy in heaven? And if you're struggling, I have three quick points. Spend time in prayer. Ask God to help our prideful and prejudiced hearts, because sometimes I find myself not rejoicing that the lost are saved. And I even have a hard time rejoicing at my own salvation, remembering my conversion. Many times it, it doesn't hit me like it should. Ask for forgiveness in our prayer. And then spend time in the Word. Do not, do not resonate with the heroes, but the bad guys. Because sometimes when we can see our sin in the Bible and then also see it in our life, it is much harder for us to quickly point out the flaws and have lack of compassion for others. Third, I would say, read stories of conversions and work of, of missionaries going around the world today. 
Third point, a lost perspective. And here's another perspective for the Pharisees. It's what being lost actually looks like. Many times when we have our Pharisee hearts, we see others in our life getting what they want. Their life looks glamorous, and we say to God, God, I go to church. I'm doing good, I'm being faithful, and you won't answer my prayers. Why is my life not happy? And these people who are sinning and disobedient, they seem to get what they want. And then the story of the prodigal son, the sheep and the coin, the loss does not seem as glamorous. Many times we look at the son at first when he first leaves, spending his money, throwing parties, being with prostitutes. But then on the inside, or quickly after, the famine comes. I remind myself, I'm reminded myself in high school, middle class, okay looking, okay funny, somewhat popular. And I can imagine a Christian at my high school saying, God, why is he happy and I'm not? But they were not with me at night when I would go to bed and I couldn't sleep, afraid of dying. And when I read my Bible, confronted with the fact that I am nothing like the God I say I am. A Christian means to be like Christ. I call myself a Christian and I was nothing like this man. And it confronted me every day. Our, our last point, a father's perspective. One commentator states, The scope of the parable is not so much the mark of the resemblance between a sinner and a lost sheep, as it is between our Lord and a faithful shepherd. You can also say an earthly father with a heavenly one. A father is looking, seeking his lost son, and when he finds him, he rejoices. He does not get angry, but instead he stops the son from explaining even more. He puts a robe on him, a ring, throws a feast for the honor of the return of his son. His son will not be a servant in his house. This is in complete contrast with the older brother, the older son. And deep down sometimes, if you're like me, you find yourself resonating with the older brother. He does not deserve it, Father. You killed the fattened calf for him? The father, of course, represents God, while the older brother represents the Pharisees and the scribes that were grumbling that Jesus was talking to. And what does the older brother say? Look what I did. You never gave me anything. Verse 29 but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. It would seem that there really is not a lot of difference between the older brother and the younger. In the end, they both just wanted stuff. The younger's inheritance to spend on foolish living, and the older brother wanted to serve for a goat. And a party from his father. And now after this rebuke from his oldest son. We can imagine the father. The smile. Leaning over to his son. 
saying, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. You see, all along, the true treasure had been there for the son. The true treasure was there for the Pharisees. He was speaking to them. You want to be looked highly upon. You want to be self-righteous. You want the outside of the cup clean, but their hearts were far from God. If they wanted stuff. And here's our challenge today. We want to be looked highly upon. So we go to church. We put smiles on our faces. We dress nicely. And the challenge is to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. With a standard that ourselves has come up with. God wants the homeless. He wants the drunkard. The stubborn. And God is crying for every little self-righteous children in church. The problem is none of them have God. My professor, when he's speaking on the doctrine of Islam, says the problem with a Muslim is not the theology problem. It is a sin problem. They don't have God. And sometimes the outward fools us. And that's the problem. They don't have God. The son returned home and was made alive like Lazarus. And he was reconciled. Why is repentance so sweet? Why is forgiveness so good? What is the point of them if God is now on the other end? When I fight with my wife, yes, I fight with my wife. Why do I apologize? Why do I say I'm sorry? It's because when I hold her or I hug her, it doesn't feel right. I want my wife back. And so I ask for forgiveness. I say I'm sorry. It's because I miss her. I want her. A quote by a a former pastor and theologian, he says, A critical question for our generation and every generation is this. If you can have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and with every leisure activity you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict... No natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? And in closing, we can see here that Jesus in this parable is telling us, these parables, come. The Father is saying, come. Christ has paid for your sin on the cross. And don't just want forgiveness for your guilt, but come for he who paid for it. It's Jesus. And to those who already know Christ and feel the conviction of being like the older brother, perhaps we find ourselves looking down on our heads, grumbling about others. Hear God come and tell you, celebrate. For this is about eternal things, not earthly. This is about life and death, not about simply eating. Let us love those who do not look like us and seek them for the kingdom because our Father is seeking them for they were lost and he wants them found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for seeking the lost. Help us to love the lost as much as you do.
In Christ's holy name, amen.